a shark? Yes, but not just a shark. Well, then what is it? Tiger plus a shark. What, 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 tiger shark? Oh, what? Tiger shark. Welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film Jaws, minute by minute or thereabouts. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And this week we are so excited. We've been teasing this guest, uh, much to his chagrin it seems, uh, for (laughs) a while now. But we are joined by um, Jack Cooper and he is a a legitimate uh, shark scientist who has reached out to us to be on the show and we are very excited and very intimidated because we just like the movie we don't really know (laughs) things about sharks but uh jack thank you for uh reaching out and thank you for being here hi guys yeah thanks so much for having me i'm really looking forward to talking jaws and i guess as ellen brody would say it's true i'm very much in sharks That's true. So, so Jack emailed us his uh, his bona fides, and it was quite impressive. Um, mm-hmm. So, Jack, do you want to? Before we ask you the question we ask every guest, um, I would like to ask you if you want to uh, kind of introduce people to what you do at quote in sharks and and um, what what you do as as a shark scientist. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of different things about it, actually, and it's very much sort of shaped my life story in a way. As a kid, I was very much in a dinosaur phase, like a lot of Mm. kids. But at the age of six, I latched on to sharks upon discovering the uh, fossil shark Megalodon, the huge, huge shark you see in movies like The Meg. I had Mm -hmm. been gripped by this documentary by the BBC, that portrayed the shark, and I was just mind-blown at the age of at six that this monster had actually existed. And I was hooked ever since, and following that, I have taken some opportunities to actually get to see real-life sharks, to get to better understand them. And uh, when I was at university, I travelled to South Africa and got to work on cage diving boats up and close with actual great white sharks. And they are some of the coolest animals you'll ever meet. And following my time there, I uh, took up a degree in paleontology at the University of Bristol, where I got to study and publish work on Megalodon, the very shark that got me into sharks to begin with. And now I'm doing a PhD at Swansea University where I'm literally now paid to study fossil sharks, and it's pretty amazing, honestly. That's uh, that's amazing. So I don't think I've mentioned this on the podcast, but I actually have a little bit of a local connection to um, fossilized sharks, or at the very least, fossilized shark teeth. Uh, there is a an area of my county um, called Sharktooth Hill, and uh it is a it's it's just an area of the it's like farmland right now as it stands but there's tons of fossilized shark teeth 
Uh, that's that's Brody, my cat that you hear in the background. <laughs> uh, Got strong feelings. <laughs> yeah, he's never he's never played with a toy on the show before, but here we are. But there's there's just all kinds of fossilized shark teeth in this uh, this area, and we don't super know why. I mean, I guess probably because at one point it was underwater, or water at least carried the sharks uh, this way and then stranded them. But it's I mean it's it's literally used for like cattle now. Um, and yeah, so you can, you can still, I think to this day, go out there and find shark teeth, um, that are just out there. Yeah. I've heard <laughs> of shark tooth actually. It's appeared on things like shark week before, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Yeah. I've never been myself, but I'd love to go when travel is a thing again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> Yeah, so you actually, you converted this work into, and this is the thing that blew my tiny mind, um, <laughs> is you did some sort of work on, on figuring out the, the dimensions of the Megalodon, right? Is that, did I understand that right? Because once again, tiny mind. Yes, I yes. want to emphasize the tiny mind part. <laughs> yes, so essentially uh, scientists have typically calculated Megalodon size based on the size of the teeth, and they compare that to Bruce the Great White and the size of the teeth compared to the size of the shark. And because the teeth tend to look quite similar, they tend to use that as a proxy for Megalodon, and they use that to get the total length. But what uh, me and some of my colleagues did was we wanted to find out which kind of sharks were the best analogs or the best proxies for Megalodon, not just the Great White, but also some of its relatives that were also eating big animals or could control its body temperature like Megalodon could. And essentially we wanted to get the proportions of each of those aspects of the body, like its fins, and compare to total length so we can extrapolate that to Megalodon. And we ended up finding that uh, the biggest Megalodons had dorsal fins that were about the same height as average human beings at adults. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is terrifying, actually. And I'm not scared of sharks, but that is, that's a wild thought to, to have. So um, where does Jaws fit into this, this love of sharks um, for you personally? Because um, I, I actually have, after that, I have one more question about this, the marriage of Jaws and shark paleontology. But for, for you personally, where does Jaws fit into this uh, story? Jaws definitely played a role in my love of sharks because it was not long after I discovered Megalodon at the age of about seven that I first came across Jaws. I, I was shopping with my mum and I guess I rummaged through the DVDs or the or VHS as they would have been at the time. And I saw the Jaws VHS and was entranced by that shock. So mm -hmm. I, I figured it'd be okay to ask my mum to get it because shockingly the movie was a PG at the time. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and uh, I asked my mum if we could get it and she must have been the only adult on the planet who had not heard of Jaws. So we, we got it and I watched it and I was absolutely terrified of it. Like it traumatized me at the time. Like I was like, uh, I think I'll stick to the dead ones, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a few years later, we at my, I was part of an English class that studied Jaws in high school, and we were asked to like watch the film and write essays on one of four scenes, either Chrissy's death, Alex's death, the Indianapolis scene, or the climax. 
And that actually allowed me to gain a deeper appreciation for Spielberg's creative decisions, but also just how well written the characters are and just how amazingly it's crafted. Uh, I really need to start doing some activism for uh, petitioning the American school system to adopt English classes where we can watch Jaws because that is not something that would happen in any American classroom whatsoever. It was a miracle that I convinced our teacher to let us watch The Lion King when we were studying Hamlet. Um, That's, you're the, you're, you're the fourth, fifth guest who has had that experience of Mm. having to write about it for an English class in high school. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, did you have that, Sarah? Is that something you had to do too? Unfortunately not, but maybe my school wasn't as as cool as that. But yeah, I wish I had. So maybe I would have, my love of Jaws would have then started even earlier than it, than it did. But I was not one of the lucky ones who got to study it, sadly. But I know of people who have though. So it sounds like it's quite a, a common thing uh, in schools over here. And I think one of the nicest things that came from that deep appreciation was Jaws, was that a few years ago, I was actually lucky enough to actually go and travel to Martha's Vineyard where the movie was filmed. Ah. <laughs> Goals. That is yeah, Jaws bucket jealous. list. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see any cool Jaws uh, stuff out there? Do they have uh, exhibits and things you can visit? Yes. So uh, the first thing I saw that made me realize, oh yeah, this is where Jaws was filmed was the, you know, when Brody's leaving the police station and he he passes by that really unique looking tree, the same tree is still there. And it's like, oh, wow, that's the same tree from the movie. And right next to that, there's a building where there's a plaque on it for Amity Island. (laughs) Ah, that's great. That's so cool. And I so before I... Oh, go ahead. And there's also a Jaws tour you can go on where this guy's literally paid just to take tourists around to show where <laughs> Jaws was filmed. Oh, yeah. Heartbeat. I would do that in a heartbeat. But I feel like I feel like now I wouldn't be able to do it because that's probably just like some guy trying to get by. Um, and I feel like the minute he gets anything wrong... It would just be, oh, and then MJ got arrested for assault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, wasn't there something like an incident at Universal one time? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I almost (laughs) I almost committed a mutiny on the studio tour, the backlot tour at Universal. Uh, Yeah. So the first thing is the guy, the guy said Sam Raimi directed the Hulk movie that Ang Lee directed, which already I was like, this guy sucks at his job. And then... (laughs) When we got to the Jaws part and Jaws like comes out of the water and there's like a pyro effect of like uh, gas tanks exploding, he said, oh, no, poor Hopper, um, who is one, not the character who gets eaten by the shark in the film. It's Quint and also Hopper's from Stranger Things, not Jaws. And... I, if I, if it were not for my wife, it, the day would have gone much differently because <laughs> almost faster than I could process it, her fight or flight kicked in and I just felt a hand on my leg. Like you need to calm down. And I know this before you know this. And I was like, okay, thank you. But we got, we got off the, we got off the ride 
at the end and my wife was like that guy pissed you off and i was like i was so mad the rest of the time like i almost couldn't focus <laughs> on the fact that he had gotten that jaws character name wrong and to the point where she she was like you need to do that job she was like you and she was like i'm serious you need to you need to look into how to become a backlot tour guide and apply because mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like you could run circles around him. And I was like, I know I could. I know the characters in Jaws. <laughs> and Basic who directed information. Hulk. <laughs> yeah. The bare minimum that you need to know really to do that, I feel. <laughs> um, so before we get into the scene this week, I have one more question about, about Jaws and shark paleontology. So it seems, and, and shark science in general, um, it seems like there's kind of two... Can- shark scientist communities and one that it is jaws is great because it sparks interest in these wonderful amazing creatures and also jaws is bad because it's full of really poor information about sharks um so i think we've established which camp you're in but uh what do you think about that that other argument about the 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 information about sharks being kind of bad and thus leading to maybe some some practices that that ultimately hurt shark populations for a bit um that we're maybe still deal- still dealing with the repercussions of um, today. Yeah, I think a lot of that is down to how the film's been marketed and how people have responded to the film more than what's in the film itself. Yes, there is some info in the film that would not be considered accurate today, like the concept of a rogue shark, which isn't really a thing, but it's, it's also, in the case of me and some other people, it has played a very big role in sparking that interest in sharks. And I think, oh no, yes, there's some pretty barbaric practices that have come out of fear of sharks. A lot of that is down to just the fact that sharks are really misunderstood. And I think the best way to go around that is to not only like better educate people, but to get them to, when people come out and see the actual animals, I've seen perceptions completely changed from absolute terror to just in awe of these very curious and actually pretty intelligent animals in the case of a great white one of my happiest memories from being on that boat i think i mentioned to it in the email is that mm. i was chumming off the edge of a boat literally like Brody does later in the film and as i was chumming i looked up and this female three and a half meter great white had actually worked out where the chum slit was coming from and had popped her head out to have a look at me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a... But yeah, yeah, I think uh, a lot of that comes down to how we perceive the film. And I think there needs to be perhaps, you know, as well as enjoying the film, there should be perhaps a bit more education, more of a focus as to the benefits sharks provide. And also highlighting that you're just so unlikely to get attacked by a shark. I think my favorite stat is that you're literally more likely to be killed by a flying toilet in a tornado than you are to get eaten by a shark. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, sharks are pretty easy to avoid, right? Like, if you're that terrified of them, it's it's pretty easy to just not be where sharks are. You're you're doing that most of the time already, I would say everyone is oh, um, yeah. <laughs> by default you're most likely not in danger of being eaten by a shark um so yeah i i definitely agree with that well this this scene is uh 
the autopsy because uh, one of the things that Jack told us is he has been a part of a, a shark autopsy uh, before. So this is right after um, Brody and, and Hooper have their dinner and decide to come cut the shark open. And the timestamp for this scene is 43 minutes and 28 seconds through 45 minutes and 18 seconds. So uh, Brody and Hooper go down to the pier uh, where where the shark is being held, the tiger shark is being held and awaiting uh, removal the next morning from uh, Mayor Vaughn's goons, I'll say. I'll, I'll use it. I'll go that far. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Hooper cuts open the, the, the shark and uh, presumably bile, but just like a white milk. It, it actually looks like the, the shark is one of the androids from Alien. Um, spills out and he starts removing the contents of it and he pulls out a couple fish like a fish head uh, most of a fish body and a tin can and a license plate with a, an easter egg on it and not an actual easter egg we are recording this the day before easter um, but uh, we'll, we'll get into what the easter egg is later in the scene um and brody asks if it has eaten a car because brody is still drunk and that is definitely a drunk man question uh and hooper informs him that no that a, a tiger is like a tiger shark not a tiger wasn't a wasn't a water tiger um a tiger shark is like a garbage can or a garbage disposal it'll eat anything and uh, they don't find Alex Kittner, which means the Great White is the Great White, and he's still out there, and he's still hungry and rogue and territorial and all these other things real sharks kind of aren't, <laughs> um, it seems. And uh, so Hooper comes up with the solution of time to go shark hunting because we got to catch this thing because Leap Day William and his cronies did not. And... Uh, Brody says, I'm not drunk enough to do that. And they argue, they bicker back and forth about whether or not Brody is in fact drunk enough to go out on the water and ultimately decide yes. And that's where we, we leave the scene. So, um, what stood out to you guys about, uh, this scene in particular, Jack, we'll start with you. Uh, so I think one of the things this scene is very good at doing throughout, oh no, it is about the autopsy of the shark itself. It's very subtly showing the contrasting of their motives and also like how they're reacting to what's happening between Brody and Hooper. And that's very clear even in just the first few moments of the scene. Like Hooper, he's got his knife, it's very glistening and very sharp. He's literally right up in the shark, speaking aloud what he's doing, almost like he's giving some kind of lecture or demonstrating to a class. Whereas Brody is keeping his distance, he's holding the torch, he's got his nose pressed into its hand, and it's like it's almost like he's too scared to even go near this dead shark because it's associated with the water. Mm. Yeah, Hooper is right up in that shark. I mean, he said in the previous scene, and you quoted it as well, Jack, that he is in sharks. <laughs> he's <is> practically <laughs> in the shark. I mean, he is. He, he, has a hand, he has both um, hands in the shark. <laughs> Yeah, there is some... I would love to know what they use to sort of make those sound effects because there is some top quality squelching in this uh, in this scene. The sounds that it is making as Hooper is like 
elbow deep inside this shark is like really quite gross um so i bet they had a lot of fun uh producing those sounds um i imagine that's probably what it sounds like when you are you know rummaging around inside a shark's digestive system but um yeah a, a mention to the the sound in the scene which is really great as always um a thing that jumped out to me is right at the start of this scene um i might have mentioned this in last week's episode just as a sort of overspill into this scene but the very first thing we hear at the start of this scene um is the sound of like a foghorn or a lighthouse kind of warning noise um and what i hadn't noticed is that the first thing we see as well is this torch that brody is shining so you get this effect of uh, a lighthouse the sound and uh through seeing the torch that he is shining on the shark as well um so everyone knows what a lighthouse is you don't need me to tell you but i uh just looked up anyway before recording just to kind of like what is if you type into google what does it come up with what is a lighthouse um or what is their purpose um and it says that they serve to warn mariners of dangerous shallows and perilous rocky coasts and they help guide vessels safely into and out of harbors um and something very significant about the color of the torch that brody is holding uh it is yellow uh would you expect it to be any other color in jaws because that's the color we talk the most about it means warning it means shark uh, all the things that we have spoken about previously. So yeah, right from the off, there is that, uh, I guess, quite an ominous start to this scene. It is comical, the rest of the scene as it unfolds, but it it's quite striking, the opening couple of shots in this scene with that shot of the torch, the sound of the foghorn, and then that glistening of the knife as well, I think is really effective and as you said as well, Jack, seeing the differences between what Hooper and Brody are doing in this scene, Brody is is playing a part. He is shining the, the torch and obviously helping Hooper with what he needs to do. Um, but he is very much further back. Uh, he tries to go even further back as fish guts are being flung towards him. Um, and Hooper, by contrast, is right right up in the shark um, with with the knife and sort of doing the the dirty work really and and brody is taking a taking a back seat and just watching it all happen yeah i think uh jack i really liked what you pointed out about the blocking in this scene where brody's just keeping his distance mm-hmm. he's he's still like we're too close to the water for me right now and i'm i'm gonna hang back i'm gonna let you do your thing and i'm gonna let you tell me what's going on and that's it the thing that i noticed really um is that hooper is full of enthusiasm for this uh and it is in stark contrast to him examining the remains of chrissy watkins and i don't think it's that um you know he devalues the life of this shark necessarily but i think he understands that on the hierarchy the animal's less important than the person who died. Like the, the, you know, the, the, the shark family isn't going to have to have a funeral for the shark. Um, and so there's our next contest guys. Uh, no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> you know, I, I, That's a fun yeah. <laughs> I put a shark in the, in the Mrs. Kittner outfit with the veil. Um, 
<laughs> Which seems cruel now that I think about Someone that. Please draw that. <laughs> Uh, um, anyway, uh, uh, I forgot my point entirely. Okay, here we go. Um, so I think it it shows that one, this does excite him. This is the part of the job that he's into, right? Like he is into the research. He's into the science. He's into Mm -hmm. learning more about the creature. He knows he can learn more, um, about the creature at a relatively low cost. This shark is already dead, right? Like it's kind of like what we brought up last week where mm. th- them not using the shark for commercial purposes, um, you know, to serve the the fillets and restaurants and things like that. Like the shark's already been caught and, and, and dead and, and, and died. And it's not, it hasn't been, you know, attacked. And it, it's something that, you know, uh, where a human life was was taken he puts more importance on the the human life not that he isn't you know i don't know what i'm trying to say i i hope i'm making sense it, but it, it's just that he's uh he understands that the higher the food chain a, a little bit is you know man's kind of apex in his brain and and um there's just like a more emotional connection there and here he can learn more about this creature and it's it's already done. There's nothing he can do to stop it. And there was nothing he could have done necessarily to stop what had happened previously because he didn't know what happened. But there's a greater emotional toll on him mm. when he does that versus when he does this. And and this is what he knows. This is this is the part that's exciting to him. And, and um, like you said, Jack, he approaches it like a like a like a teacher, like a professor. And, and last week we had the comparisons. The, the way he cleans his glasses, it's like a professor getting ready to give a lecture. He's he's into sharks and therefore he you know he can uh espouse on them very well and and uh you know i I think that's what like what what podcasting is right i don't think uh sarah and i have a, a degree or background in teaching necessarily um but I think we could teach classes on jaws i'm pretty sure we could do it if <laughs> if you twisted our arms and we would do yeah. it very excitedly um we would do it very willingly and so it's one of those things where it's it's cool to see um when people start talking about the things they're passionate about they just get so into it and i think this is great um consistency and performance from richard dreyfus because he's not involved in in the science of sharks to deal with attacks and dead bodies and and you know examining remains and and that part like that's grim and gruesome to him but he is into it to learn about these creatures and their dietary habits and what they're doing and what they're eating and where they've been and and things like that and so he is relishing this opportunity really to uh do this do his job basically because he loves his job oh yeah and you got to give credit to richard dreyfus because he he only lets out little ooh as the shark opens, and he does make a big gasp later on, on just one occasion, which I suppose could be him reacting to the smell of what he's doing, since shark autopsies, speaking from experience, are incredibly smelly jobs. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I actually, that was... Describe the, uh, describe the Yeah, smell. if you could uh, expand <laughs> oh. on that. Oh, yeah. Well, for context of why I was part of a shark autopsy... On my first trip to South Africa, we were we were really excited. We'd seen lots of sharks, but then uh, a couple of killer whales actually came into the bay and killed one of the great whites Whoa. there to eat its liver, and the body washed up on the beach. 
So uh, a group of scientists led by Alison Towner uh, decided to perform a dissection on the shark to sort of confirm that it was an orca that had killed it. And lo and behold, the liver was missing, which is almost surgically removed, which is just a telltale sign of uh, orca killing. And the, the poor shark actually had its heart was gone and its testes were missing too, oddly enough. Whoa. <laughs> so like these two orcas just went to town on this poor shark and the smell it's it kind of just fills your nostrils and immediately it doesn't leave you for a good few hours even after your dominant dissection and the fact that you're in like quite hot african mm. temperatures doesn't help with that yeah and where they're at it's it's you know northeast united states in the middle of summer it's gonna be humid it's it's gonna hang around there's there's a lot of moisture in the air which makes it feel hotter than it probably is so yeah i'm sure that smell was really bad um i was doing my best to try to not interrupt because i don't think i've ever put together that orcas kill great whites and that's the boat that's the name of the boat yep um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i've never known that i don't think i knew that orcas killed great whites at all and wow what a movie everyone what a movie my favorite thing is on this podcast is when you just hear one of our minds being blown in real time i took my headphones off for a second i think that yeah, just happened i took my headphones off for a second because i had to silently react just because i was going to derail that entire story oh <laughs> uh, yeah i <laughs> getting back to the the smell of it which i think um Roy Scheider does a very good job of silently reacting in this scene. And I wonder in the filming of this, how much they actually recreated the smell. Cause I know they did have a real shark that they, the, the tiger shark in the previous scene that you see hanging up is a real shark. And it was really stinking yeah. up the place. Um, where I think they regretted using a real shark after that, but a lot of people are like, oh, it looks fake, it looks rubber, and I love telling everyone uh, who says that that the shark they use is a real shark, so I don't know how you can say that it looks fake. Um, so I wonder if uh, any of that scene or this scene that we're talking about now, whether there was an actual smell that they're reacting to, because those, I know they're actors, they're very good at, you know, faking reactions, that's what you do, but... I I wonder if some of that was was real and also a thing that I had to point out is that Hooper in this scene is wearing double denim a Canadian tuxedo yeah. if you will um I think he is maybe the first and only guy to do an autopsy in a Canadian tuxedo and this is a very unpractical outfit to wear for doing something like this because if you wear denim and it gets wet uh, it really holds on to that moisture. So <laughs> his <laughs> the bottom half of his jeans in this are absolutely covered in this bile and fish guts and gross stuff. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a real pain to try and wash that stench out. He's gonna be carrying that stench around for a a good long while. I think that waterproofs or something might have been more practical in this scene. Um, but I love it. I, it's a uh, I love that he still has the tie yep. on as well from the previous scene. Like he's not even taken <laughs> off the tie. Um, 
I love that that is Hooper's like formal wear as well. It's just like, I'm smart, I'm wearing a tie, but he is like still rocking the double denim. Um, it's great. I I could start an entire podcast just on Hooper's wardrobe because I think it's really great. Uh, but I won't do that. <laughs> we will continue talking about uh, Jaws minute by minute because uh, there's still so much to uh, dissect, if you will, in, uh, in this scene. Um, but yeah, just... I think what we were talking about as well with how excited um, Hooper seems to be in this scene that he's finally sort of getting to do what he enjoys doing and the real contrast, like you said, MJ, in when he's examining Chrissy's remains, there's more of a reverence there. He was quite serious and it was very sort of business Hooper. Um, whereas this this version of Hooper, he's quite enjoying this, I think, secretly. He knows that it's serious. But there's a great moment where he sort of lets his guard down a little bit. And it goes back to something that we pointed out uh, with one of the sort of chump fishermen. When the tiger shark is like strung up on the dock, um, I can't remember which one. It might be Leap Day William, but he's like, uh, his mouth is like this big. And he uses the classic measurement of the hands like Mm -hmm. held apart. Um, (laughs) And Hooper does that. (laughs) Hooper does that in this scene. And I wonder if that's like... A little bit of the alcohol influence or you know he's genuinely just just having fun so that guard that guard comes down a little bit the the scientific uh tape measure hooper has been left behind a little bit and he's he is now using that uh that uh tried and tested uh measurement of uh it was this big and holding your hands up by a certain distance um i think that's a fun a fun thing to 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 pick out seeing as that was something that happens in a previous scene from some people who did not know anything about sharks and obviously hooper knows a great deal more than than they did um but yeah he's i don't think he's quite as drunk as brody um i think they get progressively drunker in the next scene for sure but yeah they've clearly (laughs) it's clearly the influence of a few glasses of wine i feel in this scene which is great to see yeah usually wouldn't recommend cutting up a shark after you've had a massive glass of wine (laughs) (laughs) well he probably hasn't had as much as brody yeah hinders the judgment a little oh yeah uh yeah so so i think i told this story on the podcast if i didn't i'm gonna edit this out because it's gonna be weird i don't know if you remember when i told the story of the the outfit that my dad's oncologist told us uh, when he gave us the news. Yes. Okay. Yes. I did tell that. Th- it's this. Yep, yep. He was dressed like Hooper. <laughs> it was almost exactly this, except oh, yeah. the tie was green. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great callback to a previous episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Imagine oh. this guy telling you that your father has 24 hours to live and trying to take it seriously as you can because it was just like yeah man couldn't have picked a different outfit to tell me that news huh like as because that's the only thing that's dominated my thoughts since you've walked in here yeah (laughs) double denim really it's a it's a choice and a green tie uh it was actually green and blue stripes which was also a choice Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't put two and two together on that until you mentioned it. And yeah, wet denim, gross. That's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> that smell will be there. Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, I do want to talk a little bit about the items that we uh, fired. Not we, we didn't do it, but that Hooper finds in the, the, the shark's <laughs> stomach. So we get 
a fish head and a fish body and the tin can and the license plate. Is that all? Is it just those four items? Um, and so yeah. he mentions the tiger shark having a slow digestive tract a couple times. I think he mentions it in an earlier scene about that's why he wants to cut open the shark in the first place. So, and then he mentions the garbage disposal thing. So is that fairly accurate to a tiger shark or any type of shark? Uh, for tiger sharks, yes, in particular, they do have very slow digestives. And actually, uh, in my notes here, I figured we would talk about the items that the shark ate. In my notes, I've got tiger sharks have eaten some weird shit. Because <laughs> in Hawaii, they've been they've found like pieces of horse. They found rats. Mm. They've unfortunately found some uh, people's pets in there. But the weirdest things that I could find that a shark, that a tiger shark had eaten, were baseballs and a car tire. Oh my god! <laughs> they did eat a car. Yeah, <laughs> just amongst themselves. If you cut open enough tiger sharks, you will find a car. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm pretty sure the science is sound. Jack backs yeah. me up on that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I made sure to look into what was the weirdest things that people have found inside Tiger Sharks. I saw a car tire, and I was like, I assume it was just a tire, but I've got to mention that. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's cool, though, that, that they did their research enough on the Tiger Shark to know that this is the kind of shark that we, you know, if, if we're going to use this as a plot device to provide hard evidence either way about the murder of Alex Kittner via shark, um that a tiger shark would be kind of a perfect choice to use because of that slow like that is rooted in real science it seems and even like the, even the the weird stuff they find in there even though the the license plate isn't a, a bit of an easter egg like it that, it wouldn't necessarily be that wild to find something like that in there um so the yeah the license plate is it, there's several easter eggs kind of but they're all related to uh the james bond franchise i don't know if you guys knew this um but uh Ooh, no, so I didn't the actually. yeah so the 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 license plate says uh 007 and it says seventy two seventy three louisiana the sportsman's paradise so rumor has it uh to quote uh adele that uh she <laughs> That, that Spielberg really wanted to direct a James Bond film and he was rejected twice because the Cubbies didn't there because the Broccoli's didn't think he was a good enough director which is an insane thing to think um but uh so it's got the 007 on there and uh, then it has Louisiana which is a reference to uh the most recent Bond film at the time they were filming Jaws which was Live and Let Die which takes place a good chunk of it in Louisiana and 72 to 73 is when they filmed and released. That's the, that was like the filming and release period of that film. So, um, yeah, that's the story behind the license plate um, that you find in there. That's cool. I didn't yep. know that. It's also the first item on my tattoo that we've come in contact with uh, on screen. So I have a large, I have a large Jaws <laughs> tattoo on my forearm. And I have the shark, the orca. I mean, I guess we've seen the orca. And then I have the license plate and the barrels, and it's all surrounded by a little frame of rope. Um, and yeah, so that was this is this is the item number one that's played a significant role at the very least. <laughs> we'll tick yeah. them off as we go along. 
what's also really clever about that license plate is that while it is an easter egg it's also used to like fill in the blanks and hooper from that louisiana plate he deduces exactly where the tiger shark came from and that's another kind of nice wee shark fact for you is that sharks can travel like extremely long distances at times there's a famous great white named nicole after nicole kidman who was tagged in south africa and she went off and swam the tag was on her for about 100 days and when it popped up the tag popped up like on the west coast of australia the shark had literally crossed an entire ocean (laughs) that has got to take a while right i like oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt sorry yeah no, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> um, that that's got to take a while, right, for the for the shark to travel that that distance. So it was traveling for about a hundred days to get there. So that's what about just over what about three yep. months ish. Yep. And the, the the most insane part of the story was that the tag came up, and then the shark went on her merry way. But a few months later, she came back to South Africa, and so she's been going to and from across the ocean ever since, as far as I know. Wow. Uh, what were you going to say, Sarah? Well, the... I was just going to say that I, I, I like, first of all, that, like you said, that they have actually done their research, like particularly in the fact that we joked about the the tiger shark and the tiger shark guy who just cannot fathom <laughs> that a tiger plus a shark exists. <laughs> Um, and it's not like they have just picked a shark name that sounds funny and then not done any research around that. Like it's a whole, it's a whole thing. I think that I mean I, I obviously I am not a shark expert, but I sharks are my favorite animal, so I at some point have sort of researched and and found out some of these things. Um, didn't know all that stuff about specifically tiger sharks, but I think that it's it's good that they have there's been that attention to detail i i think um because it would be so easy for them not to do that and just be like well no one is gonna fact check this so let's just throw all this stuff in And a lot of movies do that and it always irritates me a little bit i think particularly when it's something that you know about um it's just like you could have you could have checked you could have read a book uh and i'm glad that they did read a book in this case um i think as well how this scene is shot is really is really good in terms of keeping that mystery because we are kind of well we're certainly aligned with hooper and brody at this point we are pretty certain in ourselves as the audience that this is not the shark but we are also awaiting that that confirmation and i think that it would have been very easy to have made this scene another chance to have a really gross uh shot of this shark being cut open i think if a film was or if they were going to remake jaws they would do that now because you want to get that shot of the sort of the guts and the the gore that that people are here for and that would certainly make it not a pg um if they did make (laughs) if they did make that choice but i like that where we are positioned is we can see part of the shark but we're not seeing the the bits that are inside the shark until they are flung across towards Brody. So we're sort of finding out in real time, the same time Brody is. Um, And then when it is concluded that Alex is not inside the shark, it is then, you know, Brody, the first thing he says is, um, I've got to close the beaches, call the mayor. 
so there's really from this point it's just like there is no ifs buts or maybes this is definitely not the shark hooper confirms that as well um but yeah i I like the way it's sort of it's blocked and how it is revealed to us at the same time as well i think is really effective given how we have sort of throughout aligned ourselves with these two characters in particular and it's particularly amazing facial expressions from Roy Scheider because Hooper just says that's it and you can tell from Roy Scheider's face that Brody immediately knows this is not the shark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got to take action right now. I mean, we, we talked about the sense of urgency in the previous scene that the this this autopsy that we're watching now, this has to happen tonight because if it doesn't happen tonight then the evidence is about to be destroyed but it's the the tension then sort of continues and takes us over into the next scene as well because it's not just a case of they haven't just cut this shark open and gone okay alex isn't in there we'll deal with this in the morning and show larry the evidence hooper is like no we gotta we gotta really strike while the iron is hot the shark is going to be out there feeding right now let's go out and find this shark so that that sense of urgency and that sense of immediate action needing to be taken really continues uh into the into the next scene and obviously then we get the you know the discovery of, of ben gardner's boat and evidence is lost and it becomes even more frustrating when larry doesn't listen to them uh because we have seen everything we've we've got all the evidence at this <laughs> this point um <laughs> I don't know. I, I obviously you can't change the decisions that characters make in the film, and we would lose probably the best jump scare if uh, they didn't go out onto the water to look for the shark. But would it have been enough if they had just stopped at this point, like called? I know it's in the middle of the night, but like called Larry out and been like, "Look, we've cut open this shark. Come and look. Come and see for yourself." Um, because presumably that shark just gets thrown out in the morning and then that's a piece of evidence gone. And then when the next piece of evidence is found, that is also lost. Like, could they have done something at this stage to have convinced Larry? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I feel like Larry's in such denial until it hits until it's, you know, too late. Um for sure. I I think, mm. <laughs> you know because at no point do they go public with this information, right? Um, outside of closing the beaches and things like that. But Larry's still hanging out. Just, hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. So I I think Larry's just one of those guys (laughs) that until it affects him, it's, you know, um, that's going to, yeah, be, yeah, (laughs) denial. And, and, you know, I guess, well, I'll save it for when we talk about when he has a change of heart later. Um, (laughs) One of the, a nice thing, because Sarah was pointing out that Hooper is very much saying, you've got a bigger problem than this, we've got to deal with this shark right now. But Brody clearly takes that on board, because as he's saying, how do we confirm that by morning? He's getting up onto his feet, and he's ready to go. And he knows they've got to inform the people, because literally the first thing he says is, I've got to call the beaches and call the mayor. Oh, sorry, close the beaches and call the mayor. <laughs> yeah, uh... I like I like the way Hooper backs away from the shark when he's done. Um, he does it so <laughs> fast, and I can only assume it's to get away from the smell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. 
he does it i mean he he walks backwards like the scene in the exorcist when reagan comes down the stairs like it's so fast that he's like okay i'm done i don't want to touch this thing anymore that was very gross um and also i uh i meant to mention this earlier but the the to me listening to the um the sound design in this it's one incredible and two it sounds like there was a lot of rubber involved in making it there's a lot of like rubber rubbing up against rubber type of sounds to me um in it that's what my ears heard uh a lot i don't know if that's just supposed to be his gloves kind of getting wet and making noise against each other as it's digging around or if it's they they, i'm sure they use the rubber shark for the scene um if if Mm. if it or little column a little column b um for that but that's what i heard on top of the the squelching but it's a really dynamic and complex uh sound design just for this one little effect there's a lot of noises that went into it mm-hmm. yeah it's it's pretty gross <laughs> <laughs> sounds um i thought you would probably do better than me mj at picking out actually what those sounds are that's one of the sides of filmmaking that i find so interesting that it's literally like someone's job to just make these sounds and make them with not the actual thing itself so someone has to sit there and record all these sounds using whatever it is Mm -hmm. they need to to try and recreate it and i think that must be such a fun job i think if i (laughs) if i was to do anything in the movies uh it would probably be something like that because it just sounds kind of fun and someone probably had their hands in in sort of like rubber gloves rooting around in something to make that sort of squelchy noise i don't know maybe like really thick like syrup or something (laughs) like you need something that's sort of like thick and squelchy to to recreate that sound but yeah i the the exchange between hooper and brody at the end of this bit that we're talking about is so good i think we were sort of just heading towards talking about this bit but i i love the way they bicker it's really like an old married couple and given that they have not known each other that long in the grand scheme of things just the way that um well first (laughs) firstly when when brody uh sort of questions like I, I think um let me get the script in front of me actually so i know what i'm talking about um when hooper says we're gonna go and find him right now he's a night feeder and uh brody says on the water and hooper responds well if we're looking for a shark we're not gonna find him on the land um clearly they have not seen the 2012 action adventure comedy sand sharks because or, do we find them on the land yeah, or the classic uh chevy chase bits from snl of land shark that's 50 percent of his name it's land shark <laughs> right exactly <laughs> so clearly those things uh have not been seen they are not aware of of those things that happen in the future um but yeah just a really great back and forth between them of that sort of like i'm not drunk enough to go out on a bow yes you are no i'm not yes you are um exchange that happens between them i think is just so is so great they have such a great on-screen dynamic um roy scheider and and richard dreyfus and i think that maybe that doesn't always get um a lot of credit because i think as soon as you get into the back half of this film when it's the three of them on the boat you can pick out those sort of moments between you know two of them or all three of them and everything but this is 
you know the the most we sort of see of of just Brody and Hooper before Quint really becomes part of the picture. So this and the the next scene when they're out on the boat and Brody is much 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 <laughs> drunker than he is in this scene. Um, I think are really great. I I just love this uh, Hooper convincing him that he is drunk enough to be on a boat. I just think is so good. <laughs> he also like he he drank a massive glass of wine and i think you guys were saying last week he might have mixed mm-hmm. some whiskey in there so brody's quite the heavyweight clearly yeah mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i you know yeah. i i can say that getting convinced of something when you're under the influence or someone else near you is under the influence is very easy um which is how i ended up with a 50 dollar weird al poster so uh <laughs> that's a story yep. uh so the thing i love about that uh i'll leave it at that uh the thing i'll I'll, i love about the uh the exchange between them is how kind of stagey it seems and i mean that as a compliment Mm -hmm. by the way like i know people can use that as a criticism but i love that it feels kind of like we're watching them in a stage play like their own little micro one act play of them bickering about whether or not he's drunk enough to go on the boat (laughs) um it's just very like fast paced and and the rhythm to it is really nice it it just feels like you're watching a couple of stage actors um happen and also something i'm realizing as i'm thinking about them as performers is i don't know why spielberg didn't work with richard no uh roy scheider again um I, I don't recall stories about him being particularly difficult on the set of this Jaws movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it just seems because Richard Dreyfus went on to collaborate with him two, three more times. Close Encounters always. And was there one other one? Um, I don't remember. And then um, I know Spielberg gives long stretches without collaborating with people, but he put, you know, then he comes in the 90s, Tom Hanks. Um, becomes a frequent collaborator with him so he's not opposed to it um he's not he doesn't do it the way like scorsese does it where it's just like constantly robert de niro and leo um but (laughs) i'm really kind of surprised that the roy scheider didn't work with spielberg again and i don't really know why Mm. yeah i don't know i don't know if there is a if there is more of a story there maybe it was Roy Scheider himself actually because the the filming of this was meant to be very dramatic. oh that's true so maybe <laughs> he was just like I will never work with this, <laughs> this don't put me through that again don't put me out on the water again and for months at a time and yeah I don't know it's a good point though like because I mean obviously when you're talking about like good performances the most of the credit goes to the the actors themselves but it's you know that collaboration between an actor and obviously the natural skill that they have but also the director sort of being able to get that out of them and get the best out of their performance as well is there's something in that as well um so yeah i don't know it would have been interesting to see roy scheider do another thing with spielberg mostly just because i just the more things that roy scheider had been in the better really because after after he had a real good run in the 70s but then not so good after that and was in like a lot of just sort of paycheck films where he was always great in them but just the films themselves weren't as great so 
I mean, this is me tooting the horn for Roy Scheider like I do every yep. single week, but I just wish that he had been given more opportunities in general because he is yeah. great. Well, <laughs> shout out to Jack for bringing up the Roy Scheider face acting um, that we have to bring up every week. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... Every I, week. <laughs> to be fair, I need to watch more Roy Scheider films as well, to be honest. I think... I can't... I've never seen Sorcerer and... Oh, uh, <laughs> Jack. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I think right after we confirmed I was coming on here, Jaws 2 happened to be on mm. TV. And I was like, man, Roy Scheider's great in this. Why don't I watch Roy Scheider enough? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. I feel like every time I, I watch him, even, you know, I, I think I'm on record about not really loving all that jazz, but he's amazing in that movie. And I feel like if I watched it again, I would so love good. it. Um, you know, I, I think it would, I think a, a rewatch mm. would gloss over some of my problems with that movie. Um, matter of fact, my wife's out of town oh, I loved and it. she didn't particularly care for that movie. So maybe I'll revisit that this weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, he's great. I, I, I love Richard I love Richard <laughs> Dreyfus. Um, yeah, this is, it's a really good scene. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to discuss, uh, about this scene? I, I have, like, one quick theory about Hooper as he's estimating the size of the shark and he's spitting facts about it being a night feeder and where it's eating. Because I know he is a bit drunk, most likely, and he is using the classic hand method to estimate bite radius. He, if anyone would have a rough idea of how big the bite was, it would be him, having examined Chrissy's remains. But because he's obviously examined the tiger shark and he's not found the poor wee boy in there, I, I'm wondering if he already suspects that a great white might be the culprit. Because to have a mouth that big and to be a shark that big, realistically, the only quote-unquote man-eating sharks that get to that kind of size are tiger sharks and great whites. And great whites are just far more local to upper eastern united states so i'm wondering if he suspects the great whites not just because of that size but because he correctly deduces the shark is a night feeder and that's something great whites do tend to do in south africa they go after seals literally at the crack of dawn where their camouflage is optimized and of course we've seen the shark uh attacking at night fusing the film it killed chrissy in the middle of the night it went after those two guys on the pier and their holiday roast in the middle of the night. And for all we know, at this very moment, it could be ripping up Ben Garth's boat right now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't... I think it's the... I'm just checking in the script. Um, but I think that the the first mention of it being a Great White is when they are talking to, to Larry. So after they've been out and found mm. Ben Gardner's boat um when they're then talking to to larry by the sign um is the first mention of it being a great white and it is mentioned i mean in that moment alone i don't know how many of our episodes that's gonna span (laughs) um but i'm counting one two three four possibly five mentions of it being a great white so yeah that all that all tracks and that's interesting that yeah that that like you say jack that he as soon as he realizes that this is not the shark that killed that killed alex 
and having seen Chrissy's remains, he's he is putting those pieces together himself. He knows this is not the shark, and he is already kind of onto the next stage of identifying the actual shark that it is. So even before we we get it mentioned and have it confirmed that it is a great white, Hooper is Hooper is already there. He knows exactly what it is they're going they're going out to look for. It's not the actually maybe we'll bring this up next week but a great sort of like contrast of like the last time we saw a couple of uh two guys go out to try and hide the uh, hide to try and hunt the shark um was the sort of quite inept uh fisherman Mm. who after our theory was after a few uh glasses of whiskey they'd gone out uh stolen the roast uh from the fridge where's the beef and taken it down to the dock to try and to try and get the shark um, they didn't know what they were getting themselves in for. They went out with sort of quite rudimentary tools and things that they just found around the house. And the next time we see uh, two guys going out at night to find them is obviously when we see Hooper and Brody go out in the next scene and they have got much more information not just there's a shark out there let's go and catch it and we might get some money it's like they know they know roughly what it is they're looking for they know it's big they know it has eaten people um so yeah i think that'll be that'll be something interesting to get into next week uh i hope i'm not jumping too far ahead i'm just very excited uh to talk about the rest of this (laughs) film um and this is such such a great scene again i yeah I love it, and I have learned things uh, on today's episode as well. So I don't think I personally have anything else uh, to add other than it has been great to learn that they did their research in this scene, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. This has been great. I was very excited to come on here and talk Jaws, and it's been a great opportunity. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here, uh, Jack. Thank you for. Um uh just taking the time and educating us uh because it's it's that's that's not the part of of jaws that that we know the the most about to be sure um but yeah thank you for for reaching out and um sharing those pictures and that research with us uh i gotta say that picture you mentioned where you were chumming and the shark came out up it looks basically identical to the scene where Brody is is chumming mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy to look at and and see like when, when when that email came across uh Sarah Sarah DM'd me on Twitter and was like you gotta go check the Jaws email right now <laughs> and uh I saw <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it I mean it, it looks exactly like that it, with a you know a more realistic looking shark because it was a, an actual shark but uh yeah um thank you for being here Yeah, thanks so much for having me. One of the most amazing things about that photo was that I had no idea it was being taken behind me while the tourists got it. <laughs> Where are we? Okay, there it is. Sorry, I had to find myself on the on the 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 the, the document. Um, <laughs> uh, so jack do you want to tell people where uh they can find you and your work if they're if they're interested and, and how they can get more uh involved if they are so inclined uh yes so you can follow me directly on twitter at cooper paleo i tend to tweet mostly about sharks and some of my work and occasionally i bash the tories so that's another reason <laughs> to follow me 
way. <laughs> uh, you can also, I'm part of the Pimiento Research Group, which is a research group by my supervisor, who is this wonderful woman named Dr. Catalina Pimiento. She's an absolutely amazing scientist and mentor, and she's just started up our research group. Uh, you can follow that group at Pimiento Group, we're a group that essentially studies the extinction mechanisms of sharks so we can help inform their conservation while also studying a bit about their paleontology. Great. Um, go look that up and find that um, because I think this is something we don't really talk about uh, a whole lot. Uh, and I, I don't know why, but yeah, sharks are great and they're wonderful and they, they need our help to, uh, you know, just be, be good good people who take care of the planet we're on like it's it just and and we should help and and do that more and um there are a lot of great resources out there and that is one of them so thank you for sharing that information jack i think that's uh you know we, we have a, a lot of fun on the show uh obviously but i think if there's one thing we can do um to kind of help uh you know sharks and and shark habitats and and things like that i think uh maybe and maybe this is an offline conversation but i i haven't even thought about that so if we could use that that as a platform um for that uh i think that would be wonderful so um yeah maybe maybe we can talk about i don't know not necessarily partnering because we're not going to contribute anything as far as knowledge goes but um uh <laughs> if there's any way we can help like the podcast can help uh i think i speak for both of us when i say we're, we're more than willing to to do so because mm -hmm. that's a, a very important cause Absolutely. Yes, and speaking of important causes, uh, to you lot listening, you should definitely buy these guys a coffee or a Jaws hot dog. Yeah, I would like to do an autopsy on the Jaws hot dog. Oh boy, I don't want to find out what it looks. It looks like it's full of catch. I know I said this before. But it's like to the brim, and it doesn't look like it's a small like uh, 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 piece of bread. It's so much no. ketchup. It's so much. Too ketchup. much. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you for the the wonderful segue that I derailed by being obsessed with the Jaws hot dog. Um, I don't know what you want from me. I've been inside for over a year. Um, <laughs> you can you can buy us a coffee at our, our uh, or a jaws hot dog at our our coffee uh website there is a link in the twitter bio <laughs> to do that um you can also buy merch if you want a t-shirt or a mug or coasters um with one of two incredible designs uh or anything else tote bags masks they they got it all um you can go to our Redbubble and our t public mm -hmm. once again link tree in the bio on Twitter, and you can find that Twitter account by looking up at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. That's the the show's handle. Um, if you want to follow all the uh, new episode uh, updates and and um, random posts about Jaws hot dogs and things, uh, you can you can find them <laughs> right there. If you want to follow Sarah on Twitter, you can follow her at Sarah Buttery. That's S A R A H B U D D E R Y. You can follow me at mjsmith891. If you have feedback for the show, uh, I think the DMs are open on Twitter. If you want to email us, 
uh, you can email us jaws for a minute at gmail.com um, and uh, send us pictures of you chumming if you've done it just for fun and profit I don't know um, <laughs> If if you would if you if you're someone else who has pictures of you chumming for sharks, please share them with us. I would like to see all of them. Um, please. And yeah, you can also uh, <laughs> a, 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 an easy way to help support the show that doesn't cost you any money is to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the two biggest audiences we have. Um, that helps us climb up in the rankings, and hopefully, we can. Uh, dethrone the defunct uh, Wondery Jaws podcast, uh, who we've decided is our Jaws podcast enemy for some reason, because they're still in the top three film history or top ten film history, and that show's been over for well over a year. So uh, uh, let's get something current up there, and um, anything you can do like that, share us with your friends. If you say, "Hey, this is a wild idea," um, please uh, share it, uh, and let them know that you, you might think that they're into that wild idea um if you've bought merch thank you we've had quite a bit of of um merch orders right uh recently so i'm told uh i don't really handle mm-hmm. that side of it but yep. uh yep uh missy i know you're listening she's my co-host on my other podcast real perspective she bought a shirt and tagged me on instagram so uh thanks for supporting the uh other show that i do and uh tag us tag us when you when you get your stuff because it's super cool it's it's pretty wild to like think that i have a podcast uh that has merch that you can just buy and other people want to have that merch because i think we started the merch store so we could have stuff with our logo on it <laughs> that is a hundred percent true <laughs> uh are you guys there did i lose you oh okay Okay, great. Um, Discord's being weird. But yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Jack, for being on. Um, Go support everything he does because it's very good, very important work, and we definitely want to get the word out on that and um, and probably try to be better about getting the word out on that in future episodes. Um, Until next time, it's Jaws O'Clock Somewhere.